At Online MedEd, we walk you through every topic in detail, so you're ready for the boards and the wards. In this Ednexel Mass lecture, what I want to do is first differentiate the difference between simple and complex cysts and how you handle each one. Then break it down by a high yield differential for what a complex cyst might be. First, as we usually do in gynecology, let's break it down by the woman's lifespan. Menses at 11, menopause at 51. Before menses, she is premenarchal. And after menopause, she's postmenopausal. In between, she's in her reproductive years. And only in her reproductive years are ovarian cysts okay. That is, they may simply be physiologic. And a lot of things can cause this, and don't worry about it, because if they're simple, you don't have to do anything about them. But they can still be complex, so we need to know how to work it up. In the premenarchal and postmenopausal age groups, chances are that cyst, it's cancer. And what you should do is work to rule out malignancy. In the premenarchal age group, it's probably going to be a germ cell tumor, Sertoli Leydig, or granulosa theca tumor. In the postmenopausal, that cancer is likely to be epithelial. We have a whole lecture on ovarian cancer in the gynecology section. Take a look at that. What we're going to be doing here is talking about the reproductive age group, how to separate out a simple from a complex cyst. Now, usually you find these things on physical exam, and your physical exam can identify a cyst, but it's not good enough to tell you whether it's simple or not. So what you're going to use, the best radiographic test for you to pick is transvaginal ultrasound. Knowing that theoretically, the MRI is a better radiographic test, but it's so expensive and doesn't help you so often that the ultrasound is the test to pick, not the MRI. And the ultrasound is going to show you whether or not it is simple or complex. For your level at the MS3, it is going to be very clearly simple or very clearly complex. I'll show you what the two look like. This is an ovary. A simple cyst is going to be small and it is going to be consistent. What I mean by that is a simple cyst will be unilocular. No septations, no uloculations be anechoic. It is only one color. It is homogeneous. It doesn't have floaties or different structures. And it is small. We'll talk about what small means in a minute. A complex cyst, on the other hand, and pay attention to the relative size of the ovary in the two drawings, is going to be big, with weird edges. It's going to have these septations in it. It is not going to be continuous or all the same color. That it is loculated or multilocular, multi-echoic. You'll see stuff floating around in the fluid. Heterogeneous, multiple colors, 
with multiple structures, and it is large. Very specifically, if you get shown a picture of an ultrasound, a simple cyst is a bag full of black fluid, nothing else. If you see floaties or different structures or different things inside the cyst, it becomes complex because it's these things. Now, what makes small? What makes large? Well, you're going to first make that decision based on whatever the transvaginal ultrasound shows you. And there's a little bit of discussion about what the cutoffs should be. It depends what societies you look at. The current recommendation is this. In America, ACOG says, less than three centimeters, ignore it. It means nothing. Less than 10 centimeters, it's likely to resolve on its own. It's probably simple. Just repeat the imaging. See that it resolves in a couple of months. If it's greater than 10 centimeters, it is considered large and it needs to be removed because the chances of it resolving on its own are small and the chances of it becoming cancer are high. If it grows or fails to resolve when it was simple, it needs to be removed. In terms of removal, laparoscopy, that is minimally invasive with a camera, is preferred over laparotomy, cutting her open with an X-lap. This is mainly because of the speed with which she recovers and the morbidity thereafter. Some of the things we've learned not to do, aspiration is definitely the wrong answer. It doesn't help a simple cyst. And if it is end up being cancer, then all you've done is seed the tract. We used to think that oral contraceptives helped reduce the simple cyst, and that got into our thinking in the way of, are they already on OCPs? Should we put them on OCPs? OCPs have nothing to do with simple cysts and should not be used. And except in special circumstances, the MRI is not needed. You will see the MRI be used on the wards because of complicated patients when you don't know what to do. For the test, it's the wrong answer because the ultrasound is so good. Same thing with complex cysts. Simply remove it. OCPs and imaging are not needed. So if we're in the bucket of complex cysts, now you want to have a differential for what you can work through. And we'll talk about these in increasing orders of acuity or severity. The first being teratoma, endometrioma, which we'll use as a surrogate endometriosis, topic, torsion, tubo-ovarian abscess, and of course, cancer. Let's go through each of these one at a time, knowing that we're going to leave cancer for the malignancy lectures that preceded this one. The first is teratoma. And in women, unlike in men, teratomas are usually benign tumors. And they're usually seen in young women, usually in their teens or 20s. And these things can get to be enormous. These are the things that could have hair, teeth, or eyes in them. But usually they're asymptomatic. But they're huge, so she might notice weight gain or abdominal fullness. But you're going to find it. You're going to feel it on a well-woman exam. And so when you feel it, you get the ultrasound, 
which will show you an enormous cyst. Now, if it is absolutely huge diagnosis is done, it's this. And what you do about a teratoma, since they are not malignant, is very conservative. You remove the cyst only. The reason why you do that is because they're usually found in younger women, women who may still desire fertility, or even in their teens who need to complete puberty. If you remove the entire ovary, and it recurs on the other side, which it is likely to do, and you remove that one too, you push her into early menopause. Because these are likely to recur and they are non-malignant, simply remove the cyst only. It is appropriate to do a salpingo oophorectomy if she's older and done having kids, but for the most part, teratoma cystectomy. And to put into perspective, quite literally, I'm drawing the uterus and the ovary very small because the teratomas can get to be absolutely huge. It's very easy to remove just the cyst. All right, one step up is endometrioma, which we're going to use to talk about endometriosis in general. We do not have a very good explanation for endometriosis, and retrograde menses probably does not explain all of the things we know about endometriosis, but that's the best we've got. The idea being that during menses, enterograde flow should be from the uterus to the vagina to out in the toilet or the pad. But it's possible that the menses goes retrograde through the fallopian tubes and ends up in the peritoneum. That allows seeding of endometrial tissue on the ovary, the uterus, or distant structures. It doesn't really make sense for how it could get into the thorax, which it does, but that's the best we have. Because it's endometrial tissue, we know that it is estrogen responsive. And that becomes important in the way of management. Endometriosis is estrogen responsive, so usually recurs with cycles. And it can present with anything. Painful menses, dysmenorrhea, painful sex, dyspareunia, or with infertility. Now, the endometrioma is going to be the chocolate cyst. It is going to be the complex cyst you're going to find on ultrasound. You can have endometriosis without an endometrioma. So what I'm going to do next in the diagnosis and treatment portions is star the things that mean endometrioma. To diagnose endometrioma, you're going to get an ultrasound, and it's going to show you the cyst. The best diagnostic step for endometrioma is a diagnostic laparoscopy with laser ablation. That is to say, you use a camera, go in with minimally invasive procedures, look around, see the chocolate cyst with your eyes, and burn it away. Technically, it requires a histologic diagnosis, but seeing a chocolate cyst is diagnostic for endometrioma and endometriosis. If all you're talking about is endometriosis, however, you're going to use an OCP trial, and if they get better, that's your diagnosis. The treatment for endometriosis begins with treating pelvic pain, and the first step for pelvic pain is NSAIDs. Then it's about gaining control of the axis. 
The preferred method for this is OCPs. And whenever we talk about oral contraceptive, we also mean intrauterine devices that do the same thing. But you can also use GNRH analogs like luprolide, or you can use danazol. But danazol is usually not used because of its androgen side effects. If you have an endometriosis question, pick OCPs. And if you have an endometrioma, the best test is going to be a diagnostic laparoscopy with laser ablation. You see the chocolate cyst and you burn it away. Next up is going to be ectopic pregnancy. And you can feel the severity beginning to increase. An ectopic pregnancy happens because of early implantation. This can be from stricture or from pelvic inflammatory disease. The idea is that something has scarred down or narrowed the fallopian tube. Sperm can get through. Fertilized zygote is bigger, can't. Implants early in the fallopian tubes and begins to grow as though it's implanted in the uterus. This happens most commonly at the ampulla. Why that's important, I'm not sure, but it gets asked all the time. The patient is going to present as though they are pregnant, but it's very early on. So she may have amenorrhea or have some spotting. There'll be abdominal pain, and she'll be UPT positive. We talk more about this in the vaginal bleeding lecture, vaginal bleeding pregnancy. But the way this works to diagnose is you start with the urine pregnancy test, which is qualitatively positive. Then you need to make sure that there's actually an ectopic and not an intrauterine pregnancy. If the beta quant, beta HCG, is greater than the discriminatory zone, which I'm going to use 2000 here and we'll explain in a minute, then an ultrasound should show you an intrauterine pregnancy. If you have a beta HCG greater than the discriminatory zone and an empty uterus, you have an ectopic. If you can see the ectopic or the ultrasound, great. The discriminatory zone is basically the level at which you should be able to see an intrauterine pregnancy. That zone is between 1,500 and 2,000 and is up for debate. Know that the test should give you less than 1,500 if they want you to then get another beta quant later, and greater than 2,000 if they want you to get the ultrasound next. Once you've diagnosed ectopic, you've got three options. Salpingostomy. You simply suck out the zygote and leave the tube. A salpingectomy, where you remove the tube altogether, and methotrexate. Salpingostomy should be used without rupture of the fallopian tube or of the ectopic. Salpingectomy, more severe, should be used if there's rupture. Methotrexate with leucovorin rescue should only be used in very early pregnancies. And here we have some discrepancy in what numbers to use. The numbers you should use are a beta quant, beta HCG, less than 5,000, a gestational size less than three centimeters, and no fetal heart tones. Knowing that we have evidence for a little bit later is okay, 8,000 and three and a half centimeters. Again, 
the test should give you either less than 5,000 and less than 3 centimeters or way more than 8,000 and more than 3.5. The idea goes more like this, though. If this person wants to have another child, then they should leave the tube intact. But if this tube right now is affected, she could get an ectopic again. So if she wants a pregnancy and the other tube is normal, remove this one. If she wants pregnancy and the other one's abnormal, give her the best chance at fertility by doing a salpingostomy. If she's done having kids, just do a salpingectomy, get rid of it because the risk of ectopic goes way down, almost to zero, and if she's done having kids, she doesn't need it anymore. Methotrexate is the most fertility sparing, but has the most limited uses based on early gestational age. Check out vaginal bleeding, pregnancy, for more information. Torsion we talked about briefly during the pelvic anatomy lecture. In torsion, what happens is you have the pedicle, which involves the suspensory ligament of the ovary. The suspensory ligament of the ovary has the artery and vein in it, and it basically twists, usually because of a cyst. If it twists, the artery and vein constrict each other. Usually the vein goes first because it's floppier than the artery, and it leads to ischemia. The way this presents is completely spontaneous abdominal pain. And since the ovary is dying, she may be toxic. This is the girl who's sitting at her computer not doing anything and all of a sudden has crippling abdominal pain. The way you make the diagnosis is generally on physical exam. You'll feel that cyst that provoked the torsion. But to diagnose the torsion for real, you need an ultrasound, this time with Doppler, not just to see the cyst, but to see the decreased flow. And the treatment is surgical. This is a surgical emergency. You need to untwist the ovary. And what you do is based on what you see. If you return the vascular supply to normal and the ovary pinks up, you leave it be. Tack it down so it doesn't spin again. But if you untwist it and it stays gray and necrotic, remove it because it's dead. We finish with tubo ovarian abscess. And a tubo ovarian abscess is effectively PID. PID is caused either by gonorrhea chlamydia or by the vaginal flora. We talk more about this in the Gyne infection lectures. Tubo-ovarian abscess is diagnosed and treated exactly the same way as PID, which is unique because the abscess does not need to be identified and drained immediately like most abscesses. This is treated like PID. So you see the same presentation, which is defined by the CDC as abdominal or pelvic pain, no other cause for the symptoms, and one of three of these. Cervical motion tenderness, adnexal tenderness, or uterine tenderness. Now, tubo ovarian abscess is like the ultimate version of pelvic inflammatory disease. So chances are the patient is also going to be toxic, so look for a fever and leukocytosis. It's important to note, though, that systemic leukocytosis, the absence of that, does not mean she doesn't have pelvic inflammatory disease. The presence of white cells on a wet prep 
substantially increase the chances that she's got pelvic inflammatory disease. If you meet all these criteria, she's got PID, you treat her. But to identify the abscess, you get the ultrasound, which shows you the abscess. It'll show you the cyst. And you generally only get the ultrasound after she doesn't improve. So you diagnose PID, you treat her. And because she's got an abscess, she's probably going to be toxic enough to require the inpatient therapy, which is IV. And that is either cefoxetin plus doxycycline plus metronidazole. That's preferred. Or if she can't tolerate this, clindamycin plus metronidazole. Because she's going to be so ill, the outpatient therapies we talk about in gyne infections aren't going to be an option. So you treat her with antibiotics. She doesn't get better. Identify the, the abscess with the ultrasound. If she fails to improve and doesn't clear the abscess with IV antibiotics, then you need to drain it surgically. And the reason is the ovary, like the lung, is so vascular that you don't have to drain an abscess because the antibiotics may resolve it on its own. So going back, bird's eye view, we talked about a couple of things. First, simple versus complex, which you want to remember is less than 10, repeat imaging. Greater than 10, cut it out. And use your differential to determine what the complex cyst might be. Teratoma, young women, asymptomatic, enormous, cut out only the cyst. Endometriosis, dysmenorrhea, dyspareunia, infertility. Diagnostic lap of laser ablation will show you the endometrioma, and that is also the treatment. If you don't have endometrioma and are treating endometriosis, start with NSAIDs and OCPs. Ectopic pregnancy is going to present with abdominal pain and amenorrhea. Get a beta HCG. If less than 1,500, wait till later, check again. If greater than 2,000, look with an ultrasound. If you don't see an intrauterine pregnancy, it is an ectopic. If you see an ectopic, it is an ectopic. Salpingostomy if there's no rupture, salpingectomy if there is, methotrexate and leucovorin for fertility-sparing therapy only early on in the pregnancy. Torsion is spontaneous abdominal pain that comes out of nowhere. Ultrasound shows no flow. Untwist the ovary surgically. And lastly, tubo-ovarian abscess, which is pelvic inflammatory disease with cyst. Treat with IV antibiotics and only drain if there's failure to improve. That is a nexal masses.